The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 19. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping with them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Okay, we're in Joshua chapter 6. We're going to finish it up today. This is verses 17 through 27. It's entitled, The Battle of Jericho. It's part 2. So starting in chapter 6, verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahav, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. 
And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Okay, I'm going to be reading you an analysis of these verses, and as I am, I'd like you to think about why Joshua would curse anyone that built up the walls of the city and rebuilt the city. Think of that. Maybe you can think of the typology before I get there. Of the passage today, Adam Clark says, listen carefully and tell me if he's right. The city shall be accursed. That is, it shall be devoted to destruction. You shall take no spoils and put all that resist to the sword. Though this may be the meaning of the word harem in some places, See the note on Leviticus 27:29. Yet here it seems to imply the total destruction of all the inhabitants. See Joshua 6:21. But it is likely that peace was offered to this city and that the extermination of the inhabitants was in consequence of the rejection of this offer. Does that sound like what we've heard in Deuteronomy? This is entirely incorrect. Deuteronomy 20, when referring to the cities within the borders of Canaan, is very clear. It says, But of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. Adam Clark is one of my favorite scholars, but he does what way too many people do. He inserts his emotions and his personal affections into the narrative. I often say we are never to allow our emotions to drive our theology. Rather, we are to have our theology drive our emotions. We are to be emotional over what the Lord has done for us. We are to be angry at what angers the Lord. But we are to ignore our own personal thoughts about the tenderness or frailty of the young, old, feminine, or supposedly innocent as we evaluate what Scripture is telling us. When it says in Genesis chapter 6, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. We are to allow God to be God. He created, and thus he is the creator. How he dispenses with his creation is up to him. At the time of Noah, it was through a global flood. At the time of Israel entering Canaan, it was to be through the sword of Israel. In the end, dying by a flood is really no different than dying by a sword. When the action is complete, dead is, after all, dead. But just as Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Rahab was also spared. And both of them are ancestors of Jesus. As for Noah, Hebrews says that by faith he moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, and by that he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. 
In like manner, we now come to Rahav's deliverance. Our text verse comes from Hebrews 11. It's verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab's deliverance is attributed to her faith. She had faith in Jehovah, the God of Israel, and she had faith that he would be merciful to her. The others of Jericho may have had faith in Jehovah, meaning belief in the existence of, but they did not possess faith in his grace and mercy. And more, in her state of faith, she was willing to step forward and act on her faith by receiving the spies. This could have cost her her life if she was found out, but she was willing to trust the Lord beyond head knowledge and act out her internal faith by deeds of faith. If she didn't do this, she would not have received the promise of deliverance. The others in the city could have demonstrated faith as well, just as the Gibeonites will in Joshua 9. Though cunning on their part, what they did demonstrated faith that they could be saved, or at least that inaction would certainly result in death. Those in Jericho did not even attempt to act on what they knew. They may have had faith in the existence of the Lord, but they never acted on it. Their faith was misdirected, and misdirected faith is, after all, wasted faith. Think of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Misdirected, wasted. How close one can come to salvation and yet miss the mark. Israel has been in that state for millennia, but that time will end. Another typological hint of that continues to be seen in Joshua 6. Such great things are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Okay, I've got two thoughts for you today. The first is, bring out the woman and all that she has. It is the rest of our verses, 17 through 27. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. And shall be the city anathema, it and all who in it to the Lord. The word cherem is a noun that speaks of something shut up and kept apart. Hence, it is where the word harem comes from. It is under the ban. It means that it is devoted to destruction. As a noun, the word anathema is what best suits. In this case, it is anathema to Jehovah, and thus it is a total devotion to him alone. However, an exception has been made that must be carefully adhered to. Verse 17 continues, only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. The word only should be set off with a comma to convey the proper intent. It says, rak Rahab hazonatiye, only Rahab the prostitute shall live. The adverb rock comes from a noun signifying lean. Hence, it means leanness, and thus, as a narrow exception. Rahab is to be accepted. Verse 17 continues, she and all who are with her in the house. The translation is exact. The leanness of exception is to include only her and those in her house, according to the vow previously made. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house, and give me a true token, and spare my father, my mother, my brother, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. 
And then the response. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. This is, verse 17 continues, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Here the word often translated as angels, malach, is used. Ki et asher shalachnu. For she hid the messengers that we sent. It signifies a messenger specifically of God. The use of the word adds credence to the analysis provided in chapter 2 concerning what they pictured, meaning the two testaments in scripture. Rahav had faithfully hidden these two men, and at that time the agreement was made, and it became binding upon Israel. As such, Joshua specifically acknowledges this and commands her and those with her to be spared. An interesting thought comes forth concerning the devotion of Rahab to the Lord. Being devoted is essentially what happened to her, meaning those who issue from her. A section of her line entered into the genealogy of Christ Jesus being devoted to this purpose. So she was devoted just as the rest of Jericho was, just in a different way. Verse 18, And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things. And only you watch from the anathema. Joshua's words form an exhortation of warning. The people must carefully keep from being enticed into taking anything at all from the city. It is wholly devoted to the Lord and nothing from it must enter into common use. Verse 18 continues, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. The words are not passive, they are causative. Pentachrimu u lechachtem min hachrerem, lest you anathematize yourselves and you take from the anathema. Any who takes something that is anathema causes himself to become anathema. The sad result, however, will be shown in the next chapter. As one makes himself anathema, then everything that comprises who he is, meaning family and home, becomes anathema. But more, verse 18 continues. Here it is. And make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Vesamtem et machane Yisrael lecherem vaachartem oto. And place camp Israel to anathema and trouble it. Any Israelite who takes of what is anathema causes the anathematizement to go in both directions, thus subjecting the entire camp to become anathema. This clearly demonstrates the corporate nature of the nation. With that stated, it next says, verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron, the precious metals were to be set apart because of their intrinsic value and probably because they could not be burned. This would make it possible for them to later be removed by treasure seekers as they would not become a part of the burning of the city. If so, they then could be converted for common use. As such, they, verse 19 continues, are consecrated to the Lord. It is emphatic. Kodesh hu le Yehovah. Holiness it to Yehovah. 
The city was to be wholly devoted to the Lord as Cherem le Yehovah, anathema to Yehovah. As these belong to Yehovah, but they would not be burnt up, they would become holy to him. And therefore, verse 19 continues, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Otsar Yehovah Yavol, storehouse Yehovah, they shall come. They are set apart as holy, and therefore they were to be brought to the place where the sacred things of the Lord were stored. Thus, it makes the entire city of Jericho, the place of fragrance, holy to the Lord. In this devotion to the Lord, the city is given as a type of first fruits to the Lord and a token to Israel that all of the land would likewise fall into their possession. Verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and shouted the people and blew in the shofars. This is what was mandated in verse 5 last week, and it is more fully explained in the next words. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. Okay, I made that longer this week. Claudia last week did not want me to do that, so I had mercy on her. I made it a lot, little longer this week. <laughs> Verse 20 continues. Vahi kishmoa ha'am et kol ha'shofar. And it came to pass, according to hearing the people voice the shofar. This would have been the long blast specifically noted in verse 5. And like in verse 5, the word is singular, shofar, even though all seven priests were to blow. The shofars had been blowing all the time around the city. But this is when they all blew in unison and with a long blast, such as was heard at the sounding of the shofar at the giving of the law. Here's what it says in Exodus 19. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. The signal is given with the sounding of the shofar. Therefore, verse 20 continues, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And shouted the people acclamation whopping and fell the wall under it. Exactly as the Lord said would occur in verse 5, so the wall collapsed from below, leaving the city entirely exposed. Thus, verse 20 continues, Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Like verse 5, it is more precise, saying, And ascended the people, the city, man opposite him, and they took the city. Each man, regardless of where he stood, had freedom to go in directly. Nothing obstructed him from doing so, and there was no need to divert because no wall remained standing where he was. It cannot go without note at this point that our text verse, Hebrews 11.30, says that the walls fell down by faith. There's no secondary cause described by Joshua, such as a trembling of the earth or a meteorite slamming into it and causing it to drop. But even if that was the case, the miracle of timing would still be sufficient, but nothing else is recorded. The people were to have faith that the walls would collapse, and they did collapse. It is an important point to consider in regard to typology. Next, it says, verse 21, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, 
It more correctly says, and they anathematized all that was in the city. Everything was devoted to the Lord as required. Verse 21 continues, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Me'ish ve'ad isha, mina'ar ve'ad zaken, ve'ad sor vase v'chamor lepicharev. From man and unto woman, from young and unto old and unto ox and sheep and donkey to mouth sword. As always, the sword is considered a devouring instrument where the edge is equated to a mouth that consumes as it strikes. No one and nothing escaped it within the city except verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, And to two the men, the reconnoiterers, the land, said Joshua, the same two men who had made the agreement with Rahav are chosen to also rescue her from the destruction. Logically, they are chosen because they are aware of the layout of the house. Verse 22 continues, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has. The translation is close enough to get the full sense of what is expected. What is notable is that her house was built up to the wall of the city. And so either the wall did not fall down flat where her house was, or it fell down without harming anyone inside as it fell. In this, it is seen that the walls fell by faith, and she was also saved by faith. Both were accomplished through the superintending hand of the Lord. Knowing this, the final words of the verse are important. Verse 22 continues, as you swore to her, ka'ashur nishpatem la according to which you swore to her. In swearing to her, the agreement was made, and it had to be performed. They were sent out at the word of Joshua, and therefore what they said had to be performed as if Joshua himself had said it. Verse 23, And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahav, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. This was what she asked for and what they had agreed to. Again, from Joshua 2. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Verse 23 continues. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. The word left gives an awkward sense. Ve'et kal mishpotecha hotziyu va'yanichum michutz lemachane Yisrael. And all her families they brought out and rested them from outside to camp Israel. Israel didn't abandon them, but settled them as a people under their protection. Being outside the camp means that they were deemed unclean and not acceptable to be within the camp itself. That obviously changed later, and they were assimilated into the community, as verse 25 will show us. Verse 24, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. This is the formal act of harem of the city. The people had all been killed with the sword, but the city also was to go up as an offering devoted to the Lord through fire. 
But in accord with the verse 19, it says, verse 24 continues, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. These are the first fruits to the Lord. They could withstand fire and they would have been put through fire before they were placed in the treasury. This is seen in Numbers 31. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through fire and it shall be clean and it shall be purified with the water of purification. Verse 25, and Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. The verb is causative. And Rahab the harlot and her father and all that to her caused to live Joshua. The power of life rested with him as the leader of the people and under his authority. Rahab and her family lived. Verse 25 continues. So she dwells in Israel to this day. Vateshev bekerev Israel ad hayom hazeh. And she dwells in midst Israel until the day the this. This shows us quite clearly that she was accepted into the congregation. She no longer was rested outside the camp, but she dwelt in Israel's midst. Also, the phrase to this day clearly shows that the writer of Joshua is a contemporary of Rahav. There is a second possibility is that her family line still lives in Israel and they're using her as the matriarch saying she dwells in Israel to this day. But I would disagree with that. Verse 25 continues, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Here again, the term Hamalachim or the messengers is used of the two men. They were sent by the direction of Joshua and she hid them thus indirectly acknowledging Joshua's authority. Her act of faith, as explicitly stated in Hebrews 11, is recorded here indicating the same thought by using the word key, for, or because. Because she acted, she was caused to live among Israel. Verse 26, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. The verb, again, is causative. It essentially means, and Joshua caused them to swear. Joshua made them swear on behalf of all generations, confirming their oath with a curse. It is implied from Deuteronomy 13 that any city that was anathematized was to not be built again. Here's what it says from Deuteronomy 13, 14 through 16. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying the word harem, it, and all that is in it and its livestock with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder into the middle of the street and completely burn with fire the city and all its plunder for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. As this is the case, Joshua pronounced a particular curse upon anyone who would rebuild Jericho, saying, verse 26 going on, he shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. There is an alliterative and almost poetic nature to the words. In his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation, and in his least, he shall set up its doors. This curse came into effect as is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 16. Here's what it says there. Stupid guy. In his days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation with 
Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. Despite the curse being realized, it was confined to Heel's house and not the city. Jesus spoke of and visited the city, showing that the rebuilt city itself was not considered anathema. Verse 27 finishes with, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. The wording is simpler. And was Jehovah with Joshua and was his fame in all the land. There is a new word, shoma, meaning a report or fame. It will be seen again in Joshua 9, verse 9, when speaking of the fame of the name of the Lord. It'll be seen once in Esther 9, when referring to Mordecai, and once in Jeremiah 6, concerning a bad report coming to the people about their impending doom. The closing out of the chapter is given to highlight Joshua as the key point of focus for all that is to be honored or feared in the land meaning among Israel and also among all who heard of him. Listen to the sound of the shofar blow. It is telling us that the Lord is on our side. Here we are, circling around Jericho, ready to be in overflowing tide. Once a day, six times in all, we get up and circle Jericho, waiting for the day when down comes the wall at the sound of the long shofar blow. One step at a time and around we go, Six days we do it, and then back to the camp we head. But on the seventh day, we have a surprise for Jericho. On that day, we shall face the city and march straight ahead. Our second thought today is pictures of Christ. Almost every day of the week prior to this sermon, typing this particular sermon, I reread the passage from Joshua 6, 1 through 16, and tried to fully harmonize what is said here with the same general typology that we have already seen concerning Israel's finally coming to Christ. As we have seen, the individual passages are all part of one process that has been carefully separated to show the finer details of what occurs in the process of salvation, even if they all occur at once. In other words, and to understand what is going on, we have been seeing the process of salvation in individual passages, but they all happen at one time. Moses, the law, dies. Israel accepts Christ's fulfillment of the law. Israel enters the Jordan. That's Christ. Israel is baptized into Christ's death. That's chapter 3. Israel, signified by the stones carried to Gilgal, and which are then rested there, enters its rest. That's chapter 4. Two sets of stones are set up, signifying the heavenly government of Jew and Gentile. That's chapter 4 again. Israel is circumcised. Israel is put off the body of sins of the flesh. The reproach of the past is taken away when believers are circumcised by the Lord. That was chapter 5. Believers partake of Christ as their Passover. That's chapter 5. The Lord is the leader of the people, and they are brought into holy ground. That's chapter 5 access to that holy ground, think of access back into paradise, is brought about by acceptance of Christ's work. That's chapter 6. Okay, so everybody see what's going on? When you're saved, all of those things happen in you at one moment, but it is individual passages showing us the process of salvation. These all happen at the same time, but we have seen the individual applications spread out over several chapters now. All of this will happen to Israel someday just as it happens to every believer who comes to Christ now. With this in mind, we can evaluate the chapter as it is given. 
In chapter 1, Jericho is said to be securely shut up. Heaven, a return to paradise, is securely shut up from the faces of the sons of Israel. Go back and read Genesis 3, 24. What happened? He placed cherubim outside the east side of paradise, and they couldn't get in. Access is shut up. Everybody got that? But the Lord said to Joshua, typical of Jesus, that he has given Jericho into his hand. Think of Jesus. What is he getting us? Access back into paradise. In order to do this, Israel is to march around the city one time a day for six days. The instruction is that seven priests are to bear seven shofars, the jubilees. Being consistent with the previous passages, the priests are typical of Christ in his priestly duties. In blowing the shofars, they are heralding what he has accomplished in order to bring about the jubilee. The first time such a horn was blown, as I noted, was at the giving of the law, and with a long blast to introduce it. That's Exodus 19.19. As was noted in verse 4, these shofars are described as ha-yovlim, or the jubilees. The word yovel comes from yavol, to conduct or bear along. Because the shofar is affixed to yovel, or jubilee, it anticipates a time of proclaiming liberty for the land. On the seventh day, Israel was to circle the city seven times, and a long blast was given to proclaim the moment of the jubilee. As noted, the word horn was singular, even though it also said they, meaning the priests. They gave a united blast. It was at that time that the army was to give a whopping acclamation, and the wall would fall down under itself. In verse 6, Joshua meaning the Lord is salvation, was also designated by his father's name, Nun, to propagate or to increase. Jesus is the Lord who is salvation, and he is the one who increases the family of God by including both Jew and Gentile. In verse 6, it was noted that the term Ark changed to Ark of the Covenant. The name continued to change throughout the entire narrative according to what was going on in the surrounding text. Each time it is giving hints as to Christ's role, his person, his humanity, his deity, his death, his fulfillment of the covenant, and so on. Thinking on each instance as you read will help you see this. Still in verse 6, Joshua, typical of Jesus the leader, confirms the words of the Lord for seven priests, typical of Jesus in his priestly duties, to bear the seven shofars of the jubilees before the ark of Jehovah. I would suggest, and this is my speculation, and I do believe it's right, that these seven shofars of the seven priests are the seven proclamations of Christ's deity. They're priests. They're performing a priestly duty. He is our high priest. I am the bread of life. Think of the bread in the tabernacle. I am the light of the world. Think of the menorah. I am the door of the sheep. Think of the door going into the tabernacle. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and and the life, and I am the true vine. If you remember, or if you didn't yet see or read it, shame on you, Exodus 40 verses 1 through 16 entitled Seven I Ams. You know that the construction of the tabernacle, it's a picture of Jesus, the God-man, followed exactly the same order of the seven I Ams that were spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of John. 
He is the tabernacle where the priestly duties are conducted. The seven priests with the seven shofars of the Jubilees picture Christ proclaiming who he is. He is the procession that will lead to taking or retaking paradise. With that understood, it next said, verse 7, and they said to the people. It can be assumed that the priests, Christ in his priestly role, gives the next instruction. In other words, Jesus in his priestly role is giving the instruction to the armed men at the head to pass on and go around the city. They go first, that's verse 7. Then the priests with the shofars, that's verse 8. Then the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, still in verse 8. Then the gathering that was seen in verse 9. The entire procession anticipates the Lord, as was seen in Isaiah 52, verse 12. For not in haste do ye go out. Yea, with flight ye go not on. For going before you is Jehovah, and gathering you is the God of Israel. This is just what is seen in Joshua. There is no haste. The Lord goes first, and the God of Israel gathers up as well. Verse 10 was Joshua's imperative to not shout or make any noise until he gave the order to shout. Until Jesus speaks the word, the event will not take place. Verse 13 gave the description of the nonstop blowing as the procession continued around the city. Only the sound of the priests proclaiming the jubilees through their horns is heard, and it continues unabated. Also in verse 13 was the reversal of the references concerning the procession. It was as if the passage itself was telling us, don't worry, even if the ark of the Lord passes by, there is still the gathering. In the completed work of the law and the death of Jesus, the story is not over. The procession went on for six days in the same manner. And then it noted that on the seventh day, verse 15, things started at the rising of the dawn. It is reminiscent of the words of Luke. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. It was noted at that time that the point is not that Israel marched around Jericho 13 times. The point is that they marched around Jericho six times, once, and once, seven times. The typology is that of Christ in his humanity, the six times, proclaiming who he is prior to the fulfillment of the law. On the seventh day, it is Christ in his deity, demonstrating that the law is fulfilled. At the end of last week's passage, the words of Joshua concluded the verses, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The word went forth, claiming victory. Stopping to remember the typology. This is Christ's work, but it also anticipates Israel finally accepting Jesus someday. Each step has shown the process of this. It is the Lord who accomplishes the work, and Israel will enter in by faith in that. As such, this week's passage began with the note that the city and everything in it was to be anathematized to the Lord. It is the Lord who defeats and destroys the enemy. And the enemy is comprised of any who are not of Israel. However, in this account, the promise to Rahab is brought back to the center of focus. Israel was given the promise, and they will receive the Lord someday. But there are those who are not of Israel who are joined to the commonwealth of Israel. That's found in Ephesians 2 verse 12. 
The thing about Rahab is that she was actually saved before Israel entered the inheritance. Even if it's not yet realized, the guarantee of salvation was already given, as was noted in chapter 2. The remainder of that is seen in verse 17, where it noted that she hid the messengers that were sent. As we saw in chapter 2, they pictured the two testaments of Scripture. She hid them and preserved them by faith, and she is to be preserved. It anticipates Gentile salvation even before national Israel is saved. Along with that is the note of those of Israel taking of the accursed things and becoming accursed. That is easily understood from the words of Hebrews, a book directed to the Hebrew people. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And then from Hebrews 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. The words of Hebrews are giving the same warnings as Joshua. Have faith and don't come short of the promise. Those who fail to believe will be dealt with. Verse 21 noted the blowing of the shofar on a long blast. It is recorded as a single long blast, even if all seven blew. The parallel of a long blast at the giving of the law and the completion of the law is not to be missed. Christ completed his work and the law was ended, heralding that the God-man who had proclaimed the seven I am's is also the Lord God Almighty. At that moment, the walls of Jericho fell and at that moment, access to heaven was restored. It is to be noted that the trumpet of the Jubilee described in Leviticus 25 was to be blown on the day of atonement. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. The day of atonement is a picture of Christ's atoning death. You can go back and watch three sermons from Leviticus 16 and the Leviticus 23 sermons and you'll see that. This is exactly why the shofars of the Jubilee are mentioned in Joshua 6. It is to show us this typology. Christ died saying, it is finished. And the trumpet is blown. Liberty is proclaimed and the walls come down. Someone could argue that the typology doesn't fit because Christ died on Friday and on Sunday early in the morning he arose. As such, the account of Joshua and Jericho doesn't match. But that would be incorrect. In Romans, Paul ties the crucifixion and the resurrection into one event saying he was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. The death of Christ on the cross performed one function of the act, the fulfilling of the law. His resurrection performs another, both confirming it and calling forth the victory of it in our justification. Having this account in Joshua occur starting in the early morning is just a nice touch to strengthen the notion. Remember the six days picture Christ in his humanity. The seventh day is confirming Christ in his deity. In order to match all of the typology, the account must provide these different parts separately. Christ proved that he is God by fulfilling the law. That happened on the cross, actually when the veil was torn because only God can fulfill the law. But the resurrection also confirms it. The people, 
Christ as the head of the procession, were at that moment given free and unfettered access into the city. They went straight forward, each one of them, and the city was anathematized. At the same time, Rahav was identified by the two who were reconnoitering the land, and she and all of her father's house were delivered. Upon their delivery, they were rested outside the camp of Israel. That was verse 23. Their state of salvation is then confirmed in the words of verse 25, saying, And Rahab the harlot, and house her father, and all that to her caused to live Joshua. Jesus will cause all who come to him in faith to live, which means granting the life that is truly life. Those who come to Christ are joined to the commonwealth of Israel. With this typology, hopefully understood by all of you. Verse 26 noted the curse spoken forth by Joshua. No person should ever presume to rebuild what has been destroyed. Think of the book of Galatians. Paradise was inaccessible because of a violation of law. Christ restored access through fulfillment of the law. Paul speaks of exactly this in Galatians 2. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, think of this guy rebuilding Jericho, we have a law that was destroyed by Christ. He's now rebuilding it, right? Anathema. Those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. We cannot reintroduce the law and come away unscathed. This is what is being told to those who would try to rebuild what Christ has eliminated. Does everybody understand that typology? To me, that's the most important point of this entire series of sermons is what I just read you. Stay away from people that promote law observance. Get away from them. With this now understood, we can go back and review our text verse from last week and see how what Paul says in Colossians so closely matches the details of what we have been seeing in these Joshua sermons. The theme has been running through them, and it is based on what transpired at the end of Deuteronomy when Moses died. And of course, that is based upon Israel's transgression back in Numbers 14. So listen to this and think of what we've gone through in these six chapters of Joshua so far. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. We saw that going through the river. We saw the circumcision at the hill of foreskins in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you raised him from the dead. There we have the blowing of the shofar, the crucifixion and the resurrection right there in that picture. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out, here it is, what we just saw, the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. We can't enter heaven through the law. It's impossible, but we can enter through Jesus Christ. Thank God for Jesus. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them 
triumphing over them in it. How wonderful. In Christ, the law is ended. Moses' death. There is circumcision. There is baptism. There is sins forgiven and being made alive together with Christ. All because the law is taken out of the way and nailed to the cross. In this, the principalities and powers are disarmed. This is what happens in each person who comes to Christ. And it is what will happen to Israel when they finally come to him as well. The template is Israel. What is stated for them will come to pass. And because God has been faithful to preserve them, it is for sure that he will do so for us as well. Our chapter today ended with the words about Joshua. All we need to do, and I'm not trying to change the word of God here. I'm just simply giving you the typology. Change the name to Jesus and we can see what is being conveyed. And was Jehovah with Jesus and was his fame in all the earth. In the end, the entire story is about what God is doing in and through Jesus Christ. The fact that he has been faithful to Israel, even after their rejection of him, should give us total assurance that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank God for Jesus Christ who gives us such a strong and wonderful guarantee. Does everybody get the typology? If you didn't get some of it, just go back and read it or watch it again. You'll get it. Everything is focused on Christ. This is what God wants us to see. And he is adamant. I mean, we have seen sermon after sermon from Genesis all the way through until today. And we're going to see it again and again and again in the next five or six chapters. Stay away from law observance. If you're in a church and the pastor tells you you shouldn't be eating pork, Talk to him. If he disagrees, leave. If he tells you you need to tithe, get up and walk out or talk to him first. At least give him that courtesy. And if he still continues to do that, tell him I am out of here because that is reintroducing something not given in the New Testament. I don't care what the precept is. If they are telling you to do something that is fulfilled in Christ, you're telling him that what Christ did is not sufficient that you know better than he does. He has fulfilled every single aspect of what we're seeing all the way through the Old Testament. All of it. Stay away from that type of thing. And how important is that? It's so important that God keeps telling us the same story again and again and again. Genesis 34, Dinah, remember her? Got raped by the guy. What was that picturing? The same thing we're seeing right now. Law observance, Judaizers, stay away from that. Have faith in Christ. Stand on his grace. That's why the Bible ends not with, if you don't do the things you're supposed to do, I'm going to smite the land with a curse, which is how the Old Testament ends. It ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with you all. Amen. How good is Jesus? If you haven't called on Jesus, today is the day. Okay? That's what we need to know more than anything else. I was at a funeral yesterday, buried an old friend, known her for almost 16 full years. Wonderful lady. It was a great service. It was marvelous because she is going to be with the Lord. I know that. I've prayed with her for almost 16 years every single Saturday. It was a happy time. Man, there were drums banging and they were playing guitars. I've never been in a a happier funeral in my life. It was just joy. All those people knew where she was going. If you don't have that assurance, call on Jesus today and have the joy that surpasses all understanding. Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried Christ rose again. Just believe that and you will be saved. Our closing verse. 
It comes from Hebrews 11 again. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Faith. It's not talking about law. That's taking down the law. Until I did this sermon, I never thought of that. Not in a million years that that verse right there in Hebrews 1130 is telling us about the law. The walls fell down. The law is done. The law is what got us into this mess. It's what got Israel into a huge mess. 613 of them heaped upon them to teach us all a lesson. Next week, Joshua 7, 1 through 15. Bad times are coming for Ahan for sure. And it won't be no fun. It's entitled The Valley of Ahor. Part one. That'll be our 13th Joshua sermon. Thank you, Jay. Okay. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It is he who has defeated the enemy and who now offers his people rest. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. All right. I've got a question for you. Again, as last week, this won't be too easy, but it is possible. It is possible. Okay. If you get this, definitely not tomorrow. If you get this, you will get a shirt that says, normal isn't coming back, Jesus is. Okay, so here's your question. I hope that you have been reading Kings and Chronicles this week, because if you have, you might know this answer. King Uzziah is known by another name in 2 Kings 14. What is that name? Joash. No. King Uzziah has another name in Kings they call him one thing it was a good guess it's better to guess than not guess at all he, he guessed Betty last week <laughs> what no, nobody got it okay no 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 Jerry Azariah it's not Jerry Azariah 2 Kings 14 21 says I'll take you there hang on a second 2 Kings Uzziah was the king, and his other name is known as Azariah. So 1 Kings, 2 Kings, did I say yes? 2 Kings, uh, 9, 11, 12, 13, 14. Hang on, we're almost there, folks. 14 and verse 21, it says there's Amaziah, and then he dies, kicks the bucket, and we get down to verse 21. Um, uh, and all the people of Judah took Azariah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built a lot and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his father. So you've got, uh, his name is Uzziah or Uzziah in um, uh, Chronicles, but he's Azariah there, okay? I was reading the Bible through years ago, and I'm like, you know, this is before I'd done any studies with or read anything, just reading the Bible. I'm like, why is he calling him that? So I had to stop what I was doing and go find out why they called him a different name. Anyway, um, so there you go. Nobody got this shirt today. I'm sorry. This will, this will be here next. Yeah, but somebody could have gotten it. They could have. I, you know, I would not have gotten it. I would have said something like Amaziah. I wouldn't have said Azariah. So I, I'm sure I would have gotten that one wrong. What's that? Um, I don't remember the reason, but they all, they all have... Uh, you, you flunked it. I did. Well, no, that, lots of people have two names in the Bible, okay, like... Paul and Saul and you know there are lots of people like that but his was differently listed for a reason and I can't remember what it is offhand but there it's going to be here for a while hey listen this cost me 17 bucks okay it's supposed to be it's supposed to be on Lothar's handsome body in Germany right now okay didn't come on time okay here we go the battle of Jericho part two 
Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, both it and all the people to be sure their lives are spent. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed, not just a bit. When you take of these things, you make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron, according to this word, are to the Lord consecrated. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the trumpet sound, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat all around. Then the people up into the city they went, every man straight before him, and they took the city before the day was spent. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, devoting it to the Lord, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house for sure, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahav, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had as well. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold according to the word, and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had, as we know. So she dwells in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So shall his fate go. So the Lord was with Joshua, exalting his name, and throughout all the country spread his fame. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Okay, we're going to go to communion. Yes, I pushed it this week. Sometimes I forget, and that's kind of embarrassing, but that's okay. I do lots of stupid things. Did everybody get most of the typology? Really important, a couple of the points. Heavenly Father, thank you for this marvelous, precious word that you have given us. Thank you that the typology tells us the story so that when we get to the details in the epistles, we can more fully understand how important it is to you. And thank you for Christ who has fulfilled all of this typology for us. Thank you for him who became a curse so that we could become the righteousness of God in you. Thank you for Jesus Christ our Lord, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. There are so many incredible points. I mean, I'm trying to soak it all in. There's like a hundred of them, and they're so incredible. And two really stood out to me. And I wanted to share this with you because you're saying this and I go like, it's so unbelievable that I had to double check it myself. <laughs> As you're saying this, I'm like, wait, does it really say this in Hebrew? And this was verse 25 when you said, but Joshua spared, it says, say NIV says, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her. And a uh, house and family all who belonged to her. And I'm thinking, your, your translation of it reads totally different. completely different. I go, 
can be, can it? <laughs> so I go to the Hebrew and it actually says, and my mind is blown away. You're saying this is one of the highlighted, like the highlights that kind of sunk in. And that's that everything that belonged to her, the Rahab and everything, her house, her family, and the words are like you mentioned, Echia is uh, not just lived in Joshua. It's it's so much more. It's caused it to live, almost like a resurrected or revive. Oh, yeah, like life entered them. Life entered them. Echia. Let's say in Hebrew today, when you want to say somebody dies and you want to uh, bring them back CPR, you say lechiot, lechiot. It's like to actually bring life back into them. Which is what Which happens is, to us the moment we call on Christ. Jesus. And, and it's right there. Yeah, and it says it. Yehusha. I mean, literally almost the same name as Jesus. Just even looking at it, one could confuse in Hebrew because it's so similar. Mm. Uh, and then the second point was uh, the end, the last verse. You were saying, um, so uh, the NIV says, so the Lord with his Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land and he just looked into that. And you mentioned the word uh, Shema. Shema. Shema, yeah. And Shema is not just fame. You mentioned it's a report. And also it's from the same root as um, uh, to hear. Right. It's like almost he's, uh, you know, heard. he's heard his voice. is not th- So incredible. Wow. And that's the end of it. Yeah, just those two things that are the highlights. <laughs> uh, incredible. Okay, I'm probably transparent. I didn't realize I'm yeah, wearing a blue are. shirt. I guarantee it. Yeah, you I'm... won't be now, but you will be when I put yeah. the screen behind you. Yeah. You're going to have a head and two arms. <laughs> <laughs> you can see right through me. <laughs> uh, not yet, though. Not yet. Okay. Uh. You get that ready. I want to tell the people something while you're... Uh, yeah. Uh, I... I uh, some people know this. A lot of people, I get this question a lot, and I might as well do it right now while Sergio's here because they're always asking me. Right? we got this world-famous couple here, and they're always saying, how did you and Sergio meet? And probably most of you know this, but uh, those that don't, um, the people online might want to know this, is that I was preaching at Grace Baptist. It's a big church, and I was asked to fill in that day. And uh, I was just there, and I was ordained there, but I wasn't the pastor or any, I had no position in the church, but they asked me, we need somebody to fill in, would you preach? And it happened to be on the day when they came. And so I preached and I preached on the word of God, how important it is in your life. And at the end of the sermon, I walked out because they want you to go out and stand at the, the foyer or whatever you call it. And everybody comes up and, you know, oh, what great sermon and all that doesn't interest me. But um, uh, he did just the opposite. Now, imagine this. He's a little taller than me, right? So I'm going to pretend that I'm him. Now I'm taller than him. What did you mean by that? Why, why did you say that? Literally, he was that upset at the convicting of the word of God, weren't you? Oh, yeah. And then we got talking, and I tried to explain without getting punched. And um, <laughs> then uh, I, I could tell that, you know, this guy, he wants to know. And so I, then I found out, oh, they're from Israel. And I'm like, well, you know, let's go talk. And we went to Panera, which I won't go to Panera anymore because you can't carry your gun in there. But anyway, we went there and we had lunch. And this has been my best friend now. All those years. It's been, what, 10, 12 years? I don't know how long it's been. What year was that? Uh, 2011. It was, yeah, either the end of 2010 or the beginning of 2011. And I've never regretted a day 
after thinking I was going to get killed that day. So there you go. You had a suit and shoes on. I had a suit and shoes on. Too. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2011 because that was the month, August. January. Uh, yeah, it was. It was a big about towards towards that year when we already moved to the beach. Okay. No, even before that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was yeah. early. It took us a few weeks to get to the church because we were moving. Yeah, it so it's took a few weeks. Beginning, yeah. 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 And that time we knew the Lord. We we, we believed when it was thirteen, fourteen, or even earlier. But we never we never followed uh, Jesus um, uh, wholeheartedly. Not thinking that we need to abide by this law, that uh, and fix ourselves. And that's when Charlie spoke all those things about the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. It shocked me. I was like. You gotta be wrong. <laughs> Let's settle this right now. <laughs> I need to keep my law. And so praise the Lord, yeah, and then uh, just dug into the word. And that was dude, Charlie being always in the word of God that got me really looking into it. It's like not only what you said, but it was the way you lived out your life, always staying in the word daily, going waking up with it going to sleep with it and i thought i've never done that and uh, and that maybe is the secret and it really is <laughs> it's the word of god and let's go to it um in um book of corinthians first epistle to the corinthians uh, chapter 11 paul wrote for i received from the lord that which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread he gave thanks, saying, Baruch Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, Baruch Adonai, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body.
the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. The body and the blood. Jesus. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Sunday, you were in the phase of the first set of spies. <laughs> See? It depicts it all. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. privilege to always partake in this communion together with you all and uh, with everybody online. And I've just noticed this now, the instructions say, after prayer, send something encouraging, and then close in another prayer. Mm-hmm. So there are two well, we prayers. Just, we, we oh, you prayed, I see. So, okay. That was our quiet. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. Oh, that's right. Thank you. Okay. So then something encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, the Word of God is encouraging, and what yes. we've had um, uh, this sermon, I need to go through and again review the other points because there was like a hundred of them or more of everything that uh, that's just such a rich story, uh, such rich pictures of Christ. And I just remember two of them out of a hundred. There's so much more to dig into. Uh, but uh, um, it is encouraging to partake in the Lord's body. Um, it's encouraging to be with you all here today. And also, everybody who's joining us online, uh, I've seen there are 
the church has grown online. Uh, I was watching today that uh, where you were doing the thing, there was like a hundred over 160 people watching the sermon. I was like, wow, uh, it's uh, um, people ask God, it's a small church, but actually, it's, it's a large church with a lot of people uh, who are really interested in learning more um, than just uh, what does this mean to me, but what does this tell us about the Lord uh, and not about me because it's not about me, it's about Him. And so, um, yeah, do you want to add anything to that? I'm not very encouraging well, today. <laughs> the only thing I want to know, and I was going to ask you later, but i ask you right now, is uh, what do you think about the, the only thing that I said maybe, this is what I oh, suggest, yeah. is the seven IMs. Yes. Because they are blowing the trumpets. Yes. They're proclaiming Christ. Yeah. And so uh, Both wrote and I were like, wow, this is, this is okay. incredible, because it also aligns with the other, from the Exodus and the seven IMs and right. the tabernacle yes. building and the revelations. Yeah, church, that all ties in together. Okay. I thought it was incredible. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I I would have to agree with that too. It's wonderful, and that's encouraging. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. There's uh, do you know? But for those online, I'm transparent. Uh, it'd be cool to do something with this. I don't know. I feel like something can be done. Like this. Now I'm just the head. That's it. And uh, oh yeah, we need to pray still. We need to pray. Uh, our Father in heaven, thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the beautiful pictures of Christ, Lord. Um, how marvelous are your works, Lord, that point to your glory, to your perfection, God, um, throughout uh, the very beginning until the end, Lord. Uh, and so uh, we're uplifted, we're encouraged, Lord, to see how you worked through the Israelites, Lord, to bring about salvation and show everybody how you're going to bring salvation, Lord, to the whole earth, Lord, to all of us who believe in your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us this gift that we could... Um, that you've given us the opportunity to accept it, Lord, uh, that we're still breathing, Lord. And uh, we pray that we may go out and um, share these good news, Lord, uh, this week. Uh, give us, Lord, um, a, uh, like uh, the, they say in Arabic, ashra ashra, the eyes of that are 10 out of 10, so that we may perceive, Lord, and see every event that's happening around us, so we may know how to seize the opportunity to, um, to bring you glory, Lord, to share the good news. Mm. Lord, we pray for all those who are not feeling well, um, Lord, in this church, we couldn't come, Lord, for uh, for those who are online, Lord, who are suffering, uh, Lord, whether it's health condition or at their work, uh, career, job, Lord, in the family. We pray for them, Lord, that you may be glorified through them as they go through this, that you bring about deliverance, Lord, um, uh, even of those around them, Lord, through the example that they show in this hard uh, um, times, Lord. And we glorify you, we thank you for everything, and we love you. In the name of Jesus, Amen. 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 Amen.